it's deep. Bitch, you can't be talking to him about what he does and does not watch. He has been trying for the better half of a year to get you to read a fucking book. I have already told he's, he's Ruben on it. that We're this next there. check, so mind you, I do have to replace my Xbox controller, this check, because my left bumper is completely shot. It's, it I mean, won't I figured, work. I figured so, you'd want to be able to, you know, play games, your yes, main hobby. It's incredibly frustrating to not be able to enjoy my video games properly. Frustrating enough to play with a mouse and keyboard even. Yeah, uh-huh. Yes, I I plugged a mouse and keyboard fully into my Xbox and was playing on mouse and keyboard even though it sucks. And I that see the big book I got you Xbox? for Christmas uh, is being used for its full capacity. It makes a very poor mouse pad. Mm. It's because it's not a mouse pad, it's a book. Your mom has a book. Book. Yeah. You read. How does that work? Read. Have you ever even cracked that book open yet? Yeah. Uh Yeah, I've I've read like half of it. Uh (laughs) What else? But I already told Ruben, I am um, the next money that I have to spend on something, anything, will be, um, I'm going to buy the first couple of volumes on, hopefully hardback if I can find it. I don't think you can get manga in hardback. No. It is, they have, we'll go over it in the podcast, but they have like book covers like this. They're not hardback, Mm. but they come with book covers. Yeah. And there's the story of a character named Panda Man in the book covers, which we'll have to use the wiki for, but it's really fun. It's like a little Where's Waldo, except it's Panda Man. Nice. So yesterday when Brandon and I went to... Uh, I guess Meowsles is like him, but a cat. I still can't believe Meowsles fell out of that fucking tree. I'm sad he's a about cat. it, actually. He's a cat. Also, he's a cat <laughs> with a lot of muscles. Yeah. Like, how should he... He should have been fine. He should have been okay. So He should have done like three reps on his way down or something. Right. I mean, literally like less than 500 feet from Keg and Coin is Coliseum of Comics. And we went there yesterday when we got done. And they Where have, is that? Uh, uh, Park and King, you know where Kings Avenue is, where like Hamburger Mary's. No, no, Goozle Pipes and Cuddy Works. No, okay, it's it's in downtown Jacksonville. Okay, mm. that's what I needed. Yeah. Um. But anyways, um, they have uh, Critical Role has a version of Clue now. What? Yeah, they have a version Yo. of Clue. It's the second season because it's got yeah, it not came out last season and um, um jester and all them they've also got their own line of miniatures now too yeah this all happened last season while i was watching live and stuff it was maybe the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me so we got goals which is maybe sad but i'm not sure nah you pick your interests that's fair we got goals to shoot for now Yeah. yeah i want comics I want us to bust into this One Piece culture because, <laughs> dude, okay, so in the One Piece world, I'll just explain some of the world building to you because you learn it eventually, but it's, so there are four seas and it's, so imagine like the Grand Line is the ocean current that is like the equator, basically, uh-huh. and then the Red Line is a continent, an unbreakable continent that circles the other way. So there are four seas, North blue south blue east blue west blue they're all varying levels of perceived strength luffy comes from the east blue a small village he should be a nobody he's real strong it's fine um on the grand line you enter from one side of the red line there's like this weird thing that takes you up and you go over and then once you get into the grand line you circle halfway around the globe 
And then you hit the red line again on the other side and you have to cross it again. Well, once you cross it again, it's called the new world. And the new world is like even crazier than the grand line was crazy. Right. And, um, I feel like as part of the fandom, the grand line is, uh, doing what I've done for the last 20 years, reading and watching, I literally watched the fucking anime like four times. That's a lot of anime watching. It's like a thousand <laughs> episodes, isn't it? It is now. I've I watched it the first time I finished it. All the well, I've been watching it since it first came out on Four Kids. But the first time I made a concerted effort online to find the Japanese version and watch it uh, subbed, uh, I watched. I think it was literally five hundred episodes. Yeah. And then the second time I watched it, it was like seven or eight. Dude, fucking My Hero's up to over 100 now. Then it was nine. And then once I hit 900, a thousand was about to come out. So I watched the whole series again to hit a thousand. And I caught a thousand when it came out. Uh, And then I've watched up to like, what, 10, 14 or 15. I got a little bit of catching up to Mm -hmm. do, but... Because I think I I priced them and the volumes paperback are only like ten bucks a piece or something or it was thirteen for the first three volumes. That's awesome. Or something like that. It's yeah, way better than I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've read the manga m- many times, many times, and I will again. And you can't stop me. And if you ever do read it, you will as well. It's one of those where it's. They, I was listening to the the one I like, the podcast that I really love, mm-hmm. the one that I've listened to way too many times through. Um, and there's uh, a few times throughout the podcast, um, Tyler, the captain of said podcast, says uh, to his his new readers, he's like, hey, so now that you've learned this amazing thing, imagine reading up to this point with the knowledge you have. And they're always like, oh, my God, it blow, you know, whatever. And then that just keeps happening every little bit. Yeah. Just every time you there's like a new thing that happens and you're like, fuck me, that changes everything. Like Nick and Griffin in Carboys, where every time he learns a new thing, he's like, this changes everything, Nick. Yeah. And it's like that, but way, but emotionally. <laughs> like I could get the full box set of the manga. How, how many volumes? One through 101. Amazing. How much? Three hundred and seventy dollars and eighty-one cents. That's not bad. Not at all, especially considering that it is literally an entire bookshelf. Yeah, but that'd be like your whole paycheck, wouldn't it? No, no. I, would, I would never actually buy that all at once. Oh, okay. Oh, I would. I might. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. I might do that in a couple of months. <laughs> it, it would fill literally that entire bookshelf. I don't think it would all fit. It wouldn't. It, you'd need like two of those or one and a half, maybe. Yeah. At the least. Yep. All right, Some every- of them is thick. <laughs> All right, everybody. We uh, Welcome to Two Towns Over Campfire Tales. Uh, we got a little bit of housekeeping to do before we get started. Uh, first bit of housekeeping. Um, housekeeping? We are... No, um, no racial. Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we are taking next weekend off which will actually be the weekend that you're hearing this episode. So we want to let you know there still will be a main episode the following Sunday. 
But on that Wednesday? But that, yeah, that Wednesday, there will not be a midweek. You, we don't take a whole lot of breaks. So if you guys like actually care about us outside of our content, then take some solace in knowing that when you are listening to this episode, we will be just straight chillaxing for one Maxing fucking out, weekend. Dude. Yeah. For a day, you know? Acting all cool. Um, so instead, on Wednesday, uh, it's a long episode, so maybe start it on Wednesday if you're that kind of person, but I guarantee you, you'll want to hear the whole episode. I kind of want to listen to it while we do our podcast. It's that good. Um, <laughs> it's called, it's the Concrete Podcast. Huh? Oh. Yeah. It's called the Concrete Podcast, spelled with a K, and it's um, their uh, episode number 98. Uh, it is called The Highest Paid Drug Pilot in history, uh, I believe his name is, yeah, Roger Reeves, spelled R-E-A-V-E-S. Ruben showed up today geeking out about this. Bro, so. he, was a, he was a drug smuggler in the, he was born in like 46 or something, I can't remember now, it's been, uh, it's too much information, it's too much, but, um, and he, by the time he was in his early 30s, he was making like a million dollars a flight. Yeah. Um, and then he's he's been to prison. Let me see. This is this the description of the episode. Like, is insane. It's called. It says, uh, Roger Reeves is a former pilot and drug smuggler who employed Barry Seal. If you know anything about the cra- uh, the uh, cocaine planes from Colombia, that that whole nonsense, you know the the cocaine epidemic in the eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Seal is that guy. Barry Seal is the guy who got assassinated by Colombian drug runners after he testified against them in the 80s. Okay, so he was working for Roger Reeves at the time when that happened, okay? So <clears throat> Barry uh so Roger Reeves has spent spent a total of 33 years in 26 different prisons in seven countries. On four continents, um, his friends and associates are span from uh, Medellin cartel kingpins. I want to say Jorge or yeah, Jorge Ochoa or Ocho, and Pablo Escobar to Mister Nice Howard Marks and the infamous Barry Seal, who was Roger's close friend and employee. Uh, in his early thirties, he was making over a million a day flying back and forth to Colombia, and eventually hired Barry Seal. Uh, Roger gives vivid details of their relationship up to the very end of Barry's life. Uh, he is he is. <laughs> Roger has escaped from prison on five separate occasions, was shot down in both Mexico and Colombia, and tortured almost to death in a Mexican prison. Um, you know those commercials about Dos Equis where it's the most interesting man in the world? Yeah, yeah. this should be that guy. It's this guy. Yeah. Is Definitively. It, didn't Tom Cruise play him in a movie recently? I don't remember. He okay. might have played Barry Seal. Because I remember that uh, in the episode, um, Roger Reeves was talking about... Um, the movie they did about Barry Seal and how they did him wrong and how he was mostly like a good dude who did the best he could kind of yeah. fucked up, you know? So yeah, in, in absence of us, there's, there's some good true crime content that you can replace. Also go directly to- from the source too. Like he yeah. talks about running hashish from like Afghanistan and shit. It's fucking wild. This man's life. Also, go check out Chuddle the Pod. There's your yeah, friends of the show. Yeah, go the Chuddle Boys. Chuddle. Yeah. Dear friends, love yeah. them to death. Brian, Russ, and Sammy. Sam. Sam, sorry. I'm going to call some... him Sammy from now on, though. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> Alternatively, listen to Dungeons and Daddies because it's my favorite podcast. All right. Having gotten all that out of the way, we are actually... Oh, I'm sorry. There was one more bit of housekeeping to explain why we're doing what we're doing today, which is we are recording an episode old school where I have to get it edited by the end of this week because Don doesn't know how to calendar correctly and didn't realize that there were five weeks in October this year instead of four. And I only had four quote unquote Halloween episodes set. So uh, had to find another one and rush it through. We don't take enough breaks. I think Josh said that right yeah, at the top. Yeah, like, yeah. We, <laughs> we don't take enough breaks and now we don't know how to use calendars. So, you know. So the story we're doing this week is the unsolved mystery of the Velisca axe murders. Ooh, it's an unsolved? Oh, yeah. Ooh. I mean, they think they know who did it. It's one of those. Ooh, I like those. Gotcha. Those yeah, I like those two. In, fun in this... for the podcast, not in real life. Right, yeah. no, no. Horrific in real life. Very Horrific sad. and bad. Very sad. sad. We try to keep that in mind, but still, very fun for us. But I like <laughs> this because it's unsolved in the same way that, like, my first episode of the show was that quote, was unquote, your first episode unsolved the oh, babysitter yeah. murder yeah. where oh. we fucking know who did the goddamn babysitter murder yeah, that's but the one I was thinking about too <laughs> I'm hoping that this is like that where I'm just going to be screaming at uh, Maybe, the authorities in charge but from what I've read it's going to be more along the lines of the uh, wait 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 let me guess is it the kind where we're like oh man this sucks but like I understand why they couldn't do the thing that they should. No, no this is going to be more along the lines of um, the Phantom um, Murders. Uh, in, oh, Texarkana. Uh, Texarkana. Yeah, the hook and killer story we did. Oh. Yeah, it was the second episode we did. It's been a while. So like. Oh, God, that has been a long time. Yeah. But like Mandor, Hook, Hand, Cardor. Yeah. yeah. Got it. All right. So the Velisca Axe murders occurred between the evening of June 9th, 1912. Vel, Vel, Velisca. Velisca. Or Velisca. It's V-I-L-L-I-S-C-A. It's in Iowa. Uh, country, oh, okay. I was going to go uh, country of origin. <laughs> so uh, the axe murders occurred between Europe. the evening of June 9th, 1912 and the early morning of June 10th, Yes, 1912. I know that's a consonant. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the six members of the Moore family and two guests were found bludgeoned to death in the Moore residence. All eight victims, including six children, had been had severe head wounds from an axe. Now, the Moore family consisted of parents Josiah B., aged 43, who went by the name Joe. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would too, to be fair. Sarah, aged 39, and their four children, Herman, Mary, Arthur, and Paul. Herman, Herman is Herman Munster. Fucked. Herman got <laughs> fucked on that. Yeah. He was the oldest. Mary, Paul, and who else? Arthur. Arthur are fine. Arthur. So it's like I have to I have to have analogs every time we have a name like to visualize these people. It's so the yellow I, sweater Aardvark boy. I have no, I have Herman Munster. Oh yeah, good. I've got King Arthur. Oh, that's good too. You, you said Paul? Paul. Paul um, McCartney, obviously. Uh, I was actually thinking Paul Revere. So I'm, wow. I'm picturing colonial. Yeah, he's they're very different people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I've got Paul Paul Revere, and then who's the other uh, one? Mary. Mary. Um, so Magdalene for me. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I I actually or Peter, didn't, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> I didn't have one right off the top of my head, so I am also going to go with uh, the Virgin Mary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mary obviously. Magdalene and the Virgin Mary are not the same. No. 
Oh, no, they're not? No, it's no. two different Marys. Oh, whoops. It's been a long time since I did Bible research. Yeah, though. Mary Magdalene was supposedly a prostitute that uh-huh. kind of g- flies in the face of the whole virgin birth thing. Oh, neat. Yeah, unless, you know, after the virgin birth, Mary just went wild. I mean, maybe she did. <laughs> I mean, dude. hey, she's been through a bit. And eventually, when we finally do get around to the... the, the um... And who could blame her? <laughs> right, honestly. Uh, Everyone has a mid-30s hoe phase. <laughs> when she we was get... like a teenager. Yeah, eventually when we get to, we're going to do uh, the I mean, the Holy Grail being probably. the bloodline. Oh, oh, fun. Yeah. We're going to do a Dan Brown. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mary Magdalene was supposedly Jesus's wife. So that kind of, that's a little weird if it was his mom. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm still, whatever. I'm picturing the Virgin Mary. Okay. So anyways. <laughs> um, so I just want to go through mine. Um, it's Herman Cain. <laughs> okay. Uh, shucky ducky. Uh-huh. Herman Cain, um, Arthur from Arthur, the you know the one. <laughs> yeah, Arthur the Aardvark. Arthur yeah, yeah, the yeah. Aardvark. Okay, that's what you meant. With I his see. sister DW, yes, yes. that one. Um, what were the other two? Paul? Paul. Yeah, Paul McCartney. And then and Mary, Mary is definitely Mary Magdalene. Or, you know, any biblical Mary, really. Because they're all depicted the a, same. I don't have a visualization for Mary Magdalene is what kept it's, me from. It's just a woman in what is basically an ancient burqa. Yeah, no, yeah. See, when I think Mary Magdalene, I think of the chick that played her in The Passion of the Christ. Oh, see, I was thinking... Or uh, like a nun uh, habit, what's it? but ancient. Not, whatever the fuck those are called. Go- like Godspell? Sari? I don't know. No, not Godspell. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. Jesus yeah, Christ Superstar. Da, 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 I don't know the <laughs> words. All right. So the Moors were an affluent family and were well-known and well-liked in their community. On June 9th, 1912, Mary Catherine Moore invited Ina May, aged eight... Mm-hmm. Mary, and- Mary who? Mary Catherine Moore. Ooh, ooh, I look just like Buddy Horley. <laughs> oh, oh, and you're Mary Catherine Moore. <laughs> so Mary Catherine, who was age ten, invited her friends Ina Ina May or Ina May, uh, age What's eight. That? Spell it. I N A. Okay. Okay. And Lena Gertrude Stillinger, age twelve, to spend the night at the Moore residence. When I was like eleven. I desperately wanted a child, a baby girl, who I could name Gertrude. Okay. You did spend too much time with <laughs> uh, quilting club ladies. Josh, you have no fucking idea. I, I'm <laughs> Every day I get a better idea. I Hey, buddy, I can literally knit and crochet. <laughs> so that... And also quilt. So, you know. So that evening, the visiting girls and the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah had coordinated. I mean, I, I remember Sunday, Children's Church, yeah. the 10-minute oh, yeah. subsection of a little <laughs> tiny quiz that you give kids uh-huh. in the middle of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, you usually, you sit on the front step, and you <laughs> yep. act all cute, and the kids absolutely are like, why the fuck are we up here? Yep. <laughs> After the program ended at... Indoctrination. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> After the program ended at 9.30 p.m., the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moores' house, arriving between 9.45 and 10 p.m. Uh, is this a white family? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, at 7 a.m. the next day, June 10th, Mary Cause, Peckham. Because Moores, you know. Mary yeah. Mary Peckham? Mary Peckham. Moores' neighbor. She sure knows how to peck them. <laughs> Became concerned after she noticed that the family had not come out to do their morning chores. I'll be outside. Peckham knocked on the Moore's door. When nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. 
Peckham let the Moors chickens out and cold. there is okay. I'm now there's so chickens. sorry. There is a character in One Piece whose name is Peckham's. Is he a chicken? No, he is. But you know what? His fucking partner is. Yes. <laughs> and his name is Tamago, which for those of you who don't know any Japanese at all, that does just mean egg. Nice. <laughs> Peckham's, by the way, is an, is a basically a lion plushie. He's very cute. He's got a pink suit on. Neat. So uh, Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and called Ross Moore, Josiah's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. Ross unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. While Peckham stood on the porch, Ross went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door, where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. Moore immediately told Peckham to call Henry Hank Horton, Villisca's primary peace officer. Here's who? <laughs> who arrived shortly thereafter. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you right now, I'm imagining an anthropomorphic lion and Ross from Friends talking to <laughs> Horton from Horton. Here's a who. Um, this is an... Listen, in my brain right now, it's an amazing, wonderful playland of stuff happening. <laughs> as long as you ignore the gruesome murder that has just taken place. Horton's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had were... Been... He didn't hear it happen? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's going to be a long episode. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We're pretty loopy. Okay. <laughs> so his search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. Oh, now, now, it's, the, less now it's less fun. Yeah. The mood has come down. The murder weapon, an axe belonging to Josiah, was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were found. Horton the elephant took an axe and gave the family 40 wives. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> So what happened next marked the Velisca killings as truly peculiar and still send shivers down the spine a century after the fact. <laughs> Trust me, my visualization of it is already very peculiar. Very. The Axeman went back upstairs and systematically reduced the heads of all six moors to bloody pulp. Jesus. Suddenly it's real again. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah nope. Striking Joe alone an estimated 30 times and leaving the How face- How many wax? That, that was that was 30 wax yeah. apparently um, he didn't go quite as hard as lizzie uh <laughs> leaving the faces of all six members of the family unrecognizable it actually uh, i didn't put it in the story for some reason but at one point he lifted the hack so hard that the blunt end of the axe put a dent in the ceiling damn fuck yeah he was who he was, why mm. let's get into it now i'm curious <laughs> yeah right yeah 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 the comedy we got past the fun part yeah <laughs> and now we're here at the i want to know part he then drew up the bedclothes to cover joe and sarah's shattered heads placed a gauze undershirt over herman's face and a dress over Catherine's. covered boyd and paul as well and finally administered the same terrible post-mortem punishment to the girls downstairs before touring the house and ritually hanging cloths over every mirror and piece of glass in it. You know, you made a okay. joke about he didn't hear this happening, but did they not hear it either? No. Wow. And, like, this is, like, ritualistic. Yeah. Well, so it, it sounds to me like he killed them initially and then went back to all the bodies. Yeah. And Oh, that's fair. Uh, I was thinking he was doing this as he goes no 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 no, no. he he killed them all first and then yeah. he went back through and yeah. disfigured 
yeah. their faces. What the fuck? But then it's also, also we really say he. who is this? Yeah. He? Well, it's <laughs> I, it's it's an assumption because it's either oh. if it's not a man, then I am gonna go start picturing Lizzie Borden again. But oh no, um, it's in it's interesting because so there's there's one of two things that uh, a murderer one of, one of two reasons that a murderer would go back and cover them it's a out of respect because the murderer knew them already and you cover the faces as a sign of respect for the dead or whatever but then it could also be the sadistic thing that a lot of serial killers do where they get off on knowing that the bodies will shock the person that finds them. Right. So it could be a matter of covering their faces so they get there and they think what I was just thinking where, oh, they must have covered the faces of the victims as a, like a sign of respect or whatever. And then they remove it and they see that they're completely unrecognizably disfigured. So it, it goes one of two ways for me right now where either the murderer covered them out of a sign of respect or knew that that was what someone else would think and then would remove the covering and have that insane moment of shock when there's not a face or really a head, but just a pulp. See, I'm thinking of a third possible option too, because if you, like, I'm imagining a couple of different things, I guess. One would be that the murderer did this uh-huh. was for some reason they were angry, but like in a fucking movie crazy way. Right. And they killed everybody, then disfigured everybody, then saw what they had done and then put stuff, you know, Lo- right. coverings like, like to out. hide their shame kind True. of. True. Cause then they also, that's the next interesting part <clears throat> is that they also, they ritually covered mirrors. Yeah. All the mirrors. And like, things. I don't want to see my face anymore. Right. They didn't want to see themselves anymore either. There's a lot of really interesting pieces to this, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That or it was just a crazy person who was doing this as a ritual because the go- because the devil told him or something. Right. Like, What's great is you guys have just gone off on those little uh, tantrics because of that. But the next sentence, we're going to have to stop again. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> Shit. Oh, no. At some point, the killer also took a two-pound slab of uncooked bacon from the icebox, wrapped it in a towel, and left it on the floor of the downstairs bedroom close to a short piece of keychain that did not, apparently, belong to the Moors. I don't have anything for that. I was going to say, no, actually, I don't think we need to stop because I'm speechless and confused. I That can only be to further add to the element of shock value and confusion this is a that person he wants who the was, people that finds the crime scene to experience. This Now this feels like a person who was like, I'm going to become a serial killer and I need to figure out my M.O. Right, like My I'm gonna just try like it. a bunch of shit and see what feels good. I, I'm I'm the two pound bacon keychain slaughterer. Right, uh, trying to be the wet bandits from Home Alone, or maybe I'm right. the fucking something. faceless axe murderer, or I don't know. I'll just try it all. I'll just try it all. Right, we'll do like a we'll, we'll do like we'll, a, a Cracker Barrel sampler. We'll see what they run in the headline, and maybe I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll go with whatever they say about that. Yeah. He seems to have stayed inside the house for quite some time, filling a bowl with water and, some later reports said, washing his bloody hands in it. 
Okay, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime before 5 a.m., he abandoned the lamp, so this is pre-electricity. He this, used like yeah. a... This feels premeditated. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Also, uh, I didn't put together that this was no electricity until you said he put a bowl of water and washed his hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, what year was what it year again? 1912. Okay. There was okay. electricity. But, but like only yeah. for rich people and, and scientists. But um, yeah. And there was like a lot of detail. He actually took it was like a hurricane. You know what a hurricane lamp or you know, old yeah, lamp. Yeah, yeah. He took the chimney off and actually split the wick. So when he lit it, it was so low that he could barely see. So it wasn't like a light going. Yeah. He basically had like a hooded yeah. lamp. And this is exactly you said 1912? Yeah. This is exactly 20 years after the, I'm going to call them the Lizzie Borden murders, even though it's quite likely that Lizzie Borden did not in fact do the Lizzie Borden murders, but I'm gonna, mm-hmm. that's yeah. what they're known as. Yeah. Um, I was just reading an article about it, actually. It's exactly 20 years yeah. after that. So that's interesting to me. So sometime before 5 a.m., he abandoned the lamp at the top of the stairs and left as silently as he came in, locking the doors behind him. Taking the house mm. keys, the murder vanished. Uh, the murderer vanished as the Sunday sun rose in the sky. I was also, I got to say it because it's a neurodivergent thing and my brain will not let me not say this, but the Lizzie Borden murders are the one with the rhyme that's like Lizzie Borden took an axe, right. and gave her mother 40 wax. Uh-huh. And when she when saw she what, saw she, had what done, she had done, she, she gave, gave her, her father 41. 41. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like in every true crime thing, <clears throat> Lizzie Borden took an axe. Gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. That begins the horrific story of Lizzie. Number, Number 15. 15. Number 15. Burger King foot lettuce. <laughs> the last thing you want on your Burger King burger is somebody's Someone's foot, foot fungus. fungus. But it turns out that's just what you might get. All right, so investigators believe that all of the victims <laughs> Sorry. Investigators believe that all of the victims except for Lena Stillinger had been asleep when murdered. They thought that okay. she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found lying crosswise on the bed and was in a, def- in a with a defensive wound on her arm. Mm. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarments leading to law enforcement speculation that the killer or killers sexually molested her or attempted to do so. This sounds very similar to the Amityville murders. Which one is Lena? She was one of the uh, kids that were visiting. Oh. Was, yeah. She was spending the night. That's not good. No, you know what it reminds me of is the Ketty Cabin murders. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ketty Cabin murders. Sorry, I don't know why I mixed that up with Amityville. Well, because Amityville, there was people asleep, and he went around shooting them all, and That's nobody right. woke yeah, up. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody woke up. Yeah, yeah no, no. So I was thinking Amityville. Yeah, but, but the Ketty Cabin, Cabin also, because that had two kids that were spending the night. Yeah. And just, you know. You picked the wrong night to ask your mom if yeah. your friend could spend a night. That's why if anybody, if Brandon ever asks for, can, can, can Bobby come spend the night? Fuck No. I want to live. I do a true crime podcast. I know what happens when friends spend a night. And you know what's crazy? Is that every time we hear a story about, yeah, and it just so happened on this night, they were doing a sleepover. Dude, We, I grew up in a household where between me and my sister, mostly my sister, there was always a friend to Literally, we never, I spent very few nights. Like, it felt weird to sleep just in a house with no extra people in it. Right. And like... 
That's I spent many nights at yeah. your house. Yeah. Right. Before we were even friends. Exactly. You were just there. I, I was just like I never there. even saw you though. Yeah. And it's just like <laughs> I'm like hearing people walking up and down and I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. But like, you know, it gets real quiet on those nights. And we never had an issue with that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, we, we, wait, we never really? had our house your, get robbed. Your, your whole house never got murdered? Obviously. <laughs> but I mean just like we never had any like you know, at my house, we never had any like truly crazy shit happen. You know what I mean? Like, no. My sister went over to a friend's house and like broke her damn elbow or some shit. It never happened at our house. You know what I mean? She so, went on vacation with me and Dawn and, and dislocated her to dislocate her entire sh- shoulder, shoulder while in asleep. Her sleep. That 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 okay. So that's on <laughs> that's on the trampoline that we had when we were kids. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> So the arrival of Officer Horton set set in motion a sequence of events that destroyed what little hope there may have been of gathering useful evidence from the crime scene. Horton brought along doctors J. Clark Cooper and Edgar Howe and Wesley Ewing, the minister of the Moore's Presbyterian Congregation. Say the names again. Horton and then who else? Doctors J. Clark Cooper and Edgar. Nicknamed Sly. <laughs> and Dr. Edgar Howe. Or Ho, H O U G H. Mm. Hoff. Dr. Probably Hugh Hoff. Or Hoff. Hoff. And Wesley Ewing, the minister of the Moore's Presbyterian Congregation. I don't, I, they're just generic to me. They were followed by the county coroner, L.A. Linquist, and a third doctor, F.S. Williams, who became the first to examine the bodies and estimate a time of death. When a shaken Dr. Williams emerged, he cautioned members of the growing crowd outside. Don't go in there, boys. You'll regret it until the last day of your life. That's fucked. Mm-hmm. Well, when a he's a coroner. Yeah. When a coroner tells you, that's a person who just look he just deals with dead bodies pretty much all goddamn yeah. day. He's seen more dead bodies than you've seen live people. Right. And like or maybe about the same. Right. And like if they tell you if that person tells you, the person who deals with the murders tells you do not look at that. It will haunt you for until you die. Yeah, maybe you listen. Maybe listen to that person. <laughs> That's like if the fucking bomb guy tells you, hey, man, you don't want to put that in the bomb. It'll be way too strong. <laughs> listen to that guy. Right. Well, unfortunately, many ignored the advice as many as 100 curious neighbors. What and, the fuck? And townspeople went as they pleased through the house, scattering fingerprints. What? Yes. They had not yet invented yellow tape. No. <laughs> Yo. The past went stupid. What the <laughs> was so fuck is that? Weird. This is why, like, a lot of times we'll have conversations about how far humanity has not really come in a lot of ways. We've come real far on We've this. We've come real fucking far. In a far. relatively short amount <laughs> of time. In terms I will of crime scenes, that. we certainly handle uh, I'll give sectioning them off better, I guess. Like, cordon the public away from it. Yeah, yeah. holy fuck. And Did in, they have fingerprint technology back then? No, not even close. I don't know. It says scattering fingerprints, so it might have just really? been like an infant, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually look that up. That's an interesting fact. In one case, someone whenever. even removed fragments of Joe Moore's skull as a macabre keepsake. He later Yo, went like on, on, on some, what was his mayhem. name, dead? Uh, I was just thinking yeah. on some dead shit. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was I even looking up? Uh, Fingerprinting. Wow. All right. So over time, oh, and it was also um, 
pointed out that everybody except Joe. Whoa. What? Using fingerprints to identify individuals has become commonplace and that identification role is an invaluable tool worldwide. Used as proof of a person's identity in China, perhaps as early as 300 BC. Wow. wow. In Japan, as early as 702 AD, and in the U.S. since 1902. Okay. So, wow. Okay. So they had just started yeah. widely using fingerprints in crime scene investigation. But yeah. uh, they probably but, had very small databases. But yeah. now there are hundreds of fucking people's yeah. fingerprints there. Yeah. It's a problem because it's not very accurate. And also, they definitely did not have a comprehensive database yet no. at that point. <laughs> so, but yeah, they said that everybody except Whew. Joe was hit and killed with the blunt end of the instrument. Real? Yeah. What the f- Joe, they this actually- When you said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, I refrained from asking you, what do you mean blunt force trauma- Axe murder, and then I thought maybe he just used the back of the axe, but mm-hmm. why would you do that? But I guess he did. Yeah. And, and then, then you started describing what happened, and I thought he had killed them with the sharp end and then bluntly, you know, battered them. No, so he it's the other way around. He killed them all with and the then flat side cut of the, the fuck axe, up. Right. and then went back around to everyone and disfigured them with the sharp side. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Well, no, I think no, I think it's the other Ooh, that just everybody imagined. he used the blunt on everybody, but on Joe when he went back, he used the sharp end. Trigger, well, no, because you said at one point he swung the he axe said every, you, so hard that he left a dent from the flat side of the right. axe in that the was ceiling. when he was attacking Joe. Oh, okay. They said that Joe was so it was attacked so much that the axe actually split one of his eyeballs in half. Jesus, I mean that makes so sense. So I oh. oh. <laughs> Sorry, trigger warning, oh, vivid yeah. Tr- imagination. Trigger. I just imagined what it would feel like to get an axe through the front of your face. Yeah. It wouldn't feel like much for long. It True. would it would it would be the most intense, longest and shortest pain of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So over time, many possible suspects emerged. Oh, we're just going to focus on the most convincing, including Reverend George Kelly. Frank F. Jones and Henry Lee Moore. Dude, now we're playing Clue. Yeah. Like you've given us a list of suspects, and it it was it was definitely what was the Reverend Reverend Joe or George Kelly. I'm George gonna, Kelly. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> Reverend Kelly in every room with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> say the names again, because I gotta follow that up. <laughs> Reverend Reverend George Kelly, Frank F. Jones, and Henry Lee Moore. You know what? Ooh, wait. Henry Lee three Moore names. has three names. three names. So I'm calling <laughs> Henry Lee Moore every room with an axe. <laughs> All right. So the first one we're going to look at is Frank F. Jones. It's def- It's got to be him because we didn't pick him. Right. So Frank Fernando Jones was a Valissa. Fuck. That's was- even worse yeah. than Henry Lee Jones. But he's not He's not known by all three yeah, names. One of them is an initial. So he's not a murderer. So that's he true. was a Valisca resident and an Iowa state senator. There were at least two compelling reasons to believe that Jones had nursed a hatred of Joe Moore. What kind of senator? Iowa State. State senator, but I'm going to need to know which party. It doesn't say. Mm. It doesn't matter. I have a question. I I actually was going to ask you this or going to say something to this effect. It's like, it seems as though, like in my head, just from what we've heard this episode, right? It's whoever it was had like a... If I was writing the movie uh-huh. for just off what I know right now, right, I would 
write it so that the murderer was like a jealous ex-lover of the wife. And so he hated Joe because Joe stole her from him in high school. And so now he's got to kill Joe and stop his whole legacy. And then also there were kids there. So dramatically, oh, no, I've got to kill these other kids. Well, he's a family annihilator. Yeah. It, like, literally the whole family yeah. he wiped out their bloodline. Right. Exactly. Like, That's what I'm saying. That It feels like that like kind of like generational hatred for yeah. something. Right. And I just want to know why. You're effectively doing what a detective does. Right now, that's true. At your yeah, and I'm I might sorry. make a good detective if I didn't hate the police so much. So we we have a reverend, uh, a senator, a senator, and, and then just a regular person. Oh, the other one's just a regular citizen. What, yeah. what were the names again? One more time. George Kelly's the reverend. So it's Reverend Kelly, uh, Frank Jones, the senator, Frank Jones, the senator, senator Henry Lee Moore. And Henry Lee Moore, definitely a sociopathic killer. Which I yeah. should point out that Moore, even though his last name was Moore, he had no relation to the family. Okay. Oh. Okay. Mm. So there is are, it the typical spelling of Moore? Like M O O R E. Okay. So there are at least two compelling reasons to believe I, that, I might be related to him. That Jones had nursed a hatred uh, of Joe Moore. It's a pretty common last name. First. Yeah, I know, but uh, my family tree is wide reaching. It's a stump. Actually. No, it's it's very fucking. It's, <laughs> it goes back to like my 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 uh, great my great granny. I know she traced. She went to Europe and explored libraries to trace our genealogy back yeah. to like eight hundred. Wow. Yeah. So first, the dead man had worked for him for seven years, becoming a star salesman of Jones's farm equipment business. The dead man, Joe. Joe. Yeah. But Moore had left in 1907, dismayed perhaps by his boss's insistence on hours of 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. six days a week, and set himself up as a head-to-head rival, taking the valuable John Deere account with him. Worse, he was also believed to have slept with Joan's vivacious daughter-in-law, a local beauty whose numerous affairs were well-known in town thanks to her astonishingly indiscreet habit of arranging trysts over the telephone at a time when all calls in Villisca had to be placed through an operator. <laughs> you know what? Live your life, sweetheart. <laughs> By 1912... You know what? Y'all remember that one song, I'm a boss-ass bitch? No. No? No. Oh? Hold on. <laughs> Give me a moment, because this is perfect for this... I'm constantly amazed by Nicki Minaj and her <laughs> entire existence. It is paradoxical and wonderful, like a fairy creature. So, by anyway, that's who that woman is. Okay. <laughs> She's a boss ass bitch. <laughs> so, by 1912, relations between Jones and Moore had grown so cold, they began to cross the street to avoid each other. An ostentatious sign. On some damn. good Samaritan shit? Yeah. Damn. This uh, is a very Christian episode. And Austin, <laughs> and if there's one thing that we're big on here at Two Towns the, the, Over, it's the good it's word Christian, of our Lord and Savior Christian Jesus values. Christ. Yeah. Uh, okay. His teachings and parables are imperative to our show's <laughs> dynamic. So few people in Villisca believe that a man of Jones's age and eminence, he was 57 in 1912, would have swung the axe himself. But in some minds, he was certainly capable of paying someone else to wipe out Moore and his family. That was the theory of James Wilkerson, an agent of the renowned Burns Detective Agency, who in 1916 announced that Jones had hired a killer by the name of William Mansfield, who suggested that he was a cocaine-addicted serial killer 
to murder the family who had humiliated him. Man, this is just such a good classic whodunit. Yeah. And I lo- I'm loving this. I'm collecting information right now. The like, best joke of the episode was when you said so-and-so in all rooms. <laughs> <laughs> that, it, it really does feel like playing a Clue game right yeah. now. Um, Wilkerson, who, ma- who made enough of a nuisance of himself to derail Jones's attempts to secure re-election to the state Henry Senate. Henry Lee Jones, yes. Uh this no. is the this is no. the one Jones is is Frank f- or something. Oh, this is the this is the senator. Yeah, Frank Fernando Jones. Okay, and he's um, split from Joe as yes. a business Sen- Senator Jones. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, the just be- not Reverend Kelly. <laughs> no, no, because because in because I'm um black, and you can you can reduce Reverend in one of two ways, and one way is to put R dot. Uh huh. So in my head, R. when Kelly. you say Reverend Kelly, I just picture R. Kelly. Okay, and I so, hate so R. Kelly, um, <laughs> R. R. Kelly, Senator J. Yeah, and- as he's as he's swinging the axe. <laughs> I believe I can kill. <laughs> Swing my axe at your face and will. <laughs> when I say Senator J, I'm picturing Violent J from ICP. <laughs> Definitely. But in like, but in a suit, you know, in like, but just a with the face shitty paint. tailored suit, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, 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 like um, a, like a Ted Cruz. Suit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Wilkerson, the detective, made enough of a nuisance of himself to derail Jones's attempt to secure re-election to the state senate. You know what, Ted Cruz, as we all know, whose father is the Zodiac killer. I thought no, he was Ted, a, Cruz Ted Cruz is, is Zodiac. the Zodiac killer, according oh. to. He who shall not be named. His father was part. Is the one who killed JFK. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then he Jesus and the assassin. The <laughs> fuck me. Yeah. Absolutely. Fuck me. Yeah. And Mansfield Jesus. eventually succeeded in having a grand jury convene to consider the evidence he had gathered was able to show that Mansfield had the right sort of background for the job. Get murdered by the Mansfield family. In 1914, he was the chief suspect in the axe murders of his wife, his parents, and his own child in Blue Island, Illinois. So he, now, so that that's who? Mansfield. Mansfield, the guy who this one detective thinks could have Jones been hired, hired by Jones to kill Okay. But I... Uh, a family annihilator, so that's like its own weird subsection of mass murderers family annihilators family annihilator that was like a ghost strokes album wasn't it uh yeah but it was a concept album it was not well received okay heard um <laughs> it's like a we- a weird subsection where usually the, the motivation is like due to their own failure they feel like they have to just hit the reset button and start over completely and that's why family annihilators tend to do what they do. There's one particularly famous one that I can't remember the name of, but he killed his whole family, like including his mother, and then disappeared to another town with a different name and everything. Um, but that's that's usually the motivation of a family annihilator. They're not going to go and become family annihilator for hire. After that, I'm not. I'm not super bought into that theory okay well a familiator if you will (laughs) according to wilkerson's investigation all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner indicating that the same man probably committed them talking about the murder of wilkerson or not the mansfield yeah the mansfield murders 
Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present each of present in each of the differing crime scenes on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of each foot of the bed and a basin in which the murderer washed was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison at Leavenworth. Okay, so they did have a database. That's yeah. actually interesting. But oh, military. it would have been it would have been a, lo- a little one. Yeah, it's a small database. Only but there they do have there one. is a database. It's ten years old. Yeah, nineteen twelve at this point, or maybe a little bit after, depending on I mean, how if, far the investigation. If is they've going. introduced it as standard practice at this point over the course of a decade they probably ha- it's you no know, it's by no means comprehensive i bet they've but, got a lot of known criminals though yeah i'm i'm sure that as they started instituting it as a policy they probably went through a lot of people who were already incarcerated yeah. and collected their fingerprints to check them against other unsolved crimes definitely but that's really interesting they didn't have digital ways to do it yet so it would have had to have been done manually but uh it's it's still there's certain things that don't match up on that theory for me that says that he's not the killer? Yeah, that they, they make me not super invested in this okay. this particular theory that it's Mansfield. All right, well, we're almost done with Mansfield. So, Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Unfortunately for Wilkerson, Mansfield turned out to have a cast-iron alibi for the Velisca killings. Payroll records showed that he had been working several hundred miles away in Illinois at the time of the murders, and he was released for lack of evidence, uh, and later won a lawsuit that he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded $2,225. Damn, imagine if he actually had done it, though. Yeah. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. So we're about there. So R. Kelly's finally on trial. Yep, <laughs> we're moving on to the R. Kelly portion. Of well, the... almost. That did not stop many locals, including Ross Moore and Joe Stillinger, father of the two Stillinger girls, from believing in Jones's guilt. The Rancor, ran, yeah, Rancor, the Rancor, Rancor. Thank you. The Manticore. <laughs> caused Rancor. By... Rancor. Okay. Okay. Rancor is a Star Wars monster. Yeah, I know. All right, Rank Rancor. Yeah. Rancor. Whatever. Caused by Wilkerson, it lingered on in the town for years. R.H. Thorpe, a restaurant owner from Shenandoah, Iowa. Thorpe, a town with less than 20 people. Identified Mansfield as the man he saw the morning after the Villisca murders boarding boarding a train in Clarinda. Now, this man said that he had walked from Villisca. Who named anything in Illinois? (laughs) Right. Who did it? This is Iowa. Iowa. Eh, Probably Indian names or Native American names. Maybe. If proven to be true, the testimony would disprove Mansfield's alibi. Furthermore, it was reported that a Mrs. Vena Tompkins of Marshalltown was on her way to testify that she heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. Call the police. I mean, so here's our, are we, let me, let me hear the rest of the evidence on this and all. That was it. Oh, that's it. Yeah, okay. That's, that's, I, I figured that's what it probably was. We're moving on to R. Kelly. Um, I don't fully buy into that, but the, so a couple of things do point to like, I I can totally get why they heavily suspected him. So, 
I mean, number one being that he had done it before, basically. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, again, what it's I said about... too convoluted for me in 1912. Right. But it also makes sense that... So he, he knew that his fingerprints were on file. Um, I, w- I would make the connection that maybe the senator told him to wear gloves... So because the senator being involved in law like that would know, hey, your fingerprints are on file. Make sure you wear some fucking gloves or they will just straight up get you for this. Right. That's it. So, I mean, that makes sense. But. Yeah, but at the end of the day, the fingerprints don't matter whether he's wearing gloves or not because the townspeople went in and touched everything. Right. So they literally sabotaged their own case yeah. right there. All right. So this brings us to R. Kelly. Well. The townspeople did. I don't know how much control the cops have over a mob of people when it's the coroner team. I mean, the same amount that they have today, really. As you stated before, they hadn't invented yellow tape. They might. They didn't even. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> stop, or I'll say stop again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So R. Kelly was an English-born traveling minister. In town, yeah, the, he was <laughs> in town on the night of the murders. Kelly, the son and grandson of English ministers, had suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. Yeah, <laughs> since immigrating to America with his wife in 1904, Kelly had preached at Methodist churches across North Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, and Iowa. That's probably true. He'd been assigned as a visiting minister to several small communities north of Villisca, where he developed a reputation for odd behavior. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> he'd also <laughs> he'd also been convicted of sending obscene material through the mail and had spent time to whom in, it doesn't say. I, of course, it doesn't. In time, <laughs> he'd spent time in a mental hospital. Oh, yeah. As an adult, are he, we sure we're not talking about a literal time traveling R. R. Kelly? Like, well, this next sentence might seal it. Interesting though, because he did an Albert Fish. Yeah, he was sending obscene messages in the mail yeah roughly the same time yeah he, he was doing a troll yeah he was just doing an early albert fish mm-hmm. so as an adult he was accused of peeping and several times asked young women and girls to pose nude for him oh if you took yeah. one p out of that word then... <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> you didn't see it but we all did not <laughs> on june 8th 1912 he came to Velisca to teach at the children's day services oh which the moore's family attended on june 9th 1912 he left town between 5 a.m and 5 50 a.m on june 10th 1912 hours before the bodies were discovered reverend kelly had confessed to the murders in court but the jury didn't believe his confession why in the weeks that followed, he okay. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. This aroused suspicion, and a private investigator wrote back to R. Oh. Kelly, asking for details that the minister might know about the murders. Kelly replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. His known mental illness made authorities question whether he knew the details because of having committed the murders. If he knew the details because of having committed the murders or was imagining his his account. Though his It sounds like somebody who got a little too obsessed with a thing and like Yeah. I wanted to be a part of it. I feel like for him I need to know more about his 
particular mental illness. Yeah, yeah we don't need that. We much won't detail. get that. In I know because the, yeah, they didn't have that unfortunately. But it's but if they knew he was mentally ill in nineteen twelve. That means it was probably something fairly serious and very obvious. So, or like, he read a book. What? That was one of the for women if they read a novel. Yeah, but it was a he, so that they expected yeah. you to read. Um, remind me real quick of the timeline of events on the day of the murder. How, how were the how were the bodies discovered again? They were discovered the next morning at the seven a.m. Morning or sometime around. They early, got early home that night around after the service, after around the service. 9.30. Right. And they were killed sometime between midnight and 5 a.m. Though his small stature and meek personality led some to doubt his involvement, there were certain factors police believed made him the perfect candidate. I Yeah, no, I want to call this out real quick, too, because they're saying because of his small stature, effectively... In less words, they're saying that because he is so small, there's no way that he could have bludgeoned them that hard with an axe. But that is the entire design of an axe, is that the weight of the axe head does all of the work for Yeah. We've known how to do that since prehistoric times. I'm... I'm a scrawny little bitch boy, and I could chop wood with an axe. Maybe right. not for long before I oh, tire yeah, out. Oh, you could do it for a long time, yeah. But it's that that is the whole point of an axe, is that you just let the weight of it do 90% of the work. Right. Yep. You just lift it up and let that shit fall. Yeah. So here are some of the factors. Kelly was left-handed, which police, police determined from blood spatters that the killer must be. Mm. He also had a history with the Moore family, as many had seen him watching them while at church and out and about in town. A dry cleaner in a nearby town had received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days after the murders. He reportedly also asked police for access to the home after the crime while posing as a Scotland Yard officer. This is obsession, and he definitely stole some of those clothes. (laughs) Yeah, he's possibly my number one suspect currently. I haven't heard shit about Henry Lee, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Yeah, We'll get there. We're almost there. So in 1917... The fact that Don saved him for last makes me currently have him as my number one suspect. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) suspicious, you know? So in 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Villisca murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However, it followed many hours of interrogation and Kelly later recanted. After two forced confession, after two Mm -hmm. separate trials, he was acquitted. These are the these are the signs of a forced confession. The ones everything you just said. Yeah, it's well, it's kind of like the Amanda Knox thing where which that's I want to do Amanda Knox's story at some point, too, because her story is very cool, very interesting. But it's a lot like um, she was an American who was studying abroad in Italy. Her roommate was brutally raped and murdered on a night where she was uh, at her Italian boyfriend's house. Mm-hmm. And um, she got back and basically the detective that was in charge of it uh, decided that she was evil mm. and that it had to be her. And they did... a fucking horrible job she ended up being twice tried and twice acquitted but once convicted spent time in prison in italy it was like trial of the century they were trying to put her up on this 
grand stage because she was an American in Italy, mm-hmm. so it got it was it was crazy because only but, an American could do such an evil thing, right? And then I'll fucking I'll send you a great documentary about it. It's just called Amanda Knox. Yeah, um, really really good. Um, it also talks about how terrible the media was in the whole thing, but this gives me similar vibes to that. Yeah. All right. So Henry Lee Moore was a suspected serial killer who was convicted of the murder of his mother and grandmother several months after the murders in Villisca. You said the fucking words that we said about him. <laughs> yep. The, what? Three names. I can't. I cannot. I can't believe how accurate it is. Three names. Like, it's stupid accurate. <clears throat> how? So, um, yeah, he was convicted of killing his mother and grandmother several months after the murders in Villisca. His weapon of choice being an axe. And that was just a very common weapon of choice for yeah. everyone back, back then. Back in everybody 1912 when guns sucked. Ev- yes, everybody had an axe. Guns were near useless unless you had a whole firing squad. And literally anybody can swing an axe to brutal effectiveness because of what I was just talking right. about. Before and after the murders in Villisca, the very similar axe murders on his mother and grandmother were committed. And all of the cases showed striking similarities, leading to strong suspicion that some or all of the crimes were committed by an axe-murdering serial killer. And, just like Mansfield, the axe-murdering Henry Moore can also be considered a suspect in some of these slayings. Nope. They had modern pistols in 1912. Damn. Oh, yeah, they had, like, actual... Damn. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it was... Because, yeah, they had, like, World War I-era weapons. That's right. Yeah, semi-automatic machine pistol. Yeah, no fucking timeline technology is wild. So and then the Mauser. One more name that came up was Sam it's Moyer. Bolt action rifle. Wow. At the inquest, it was reported that Sam Moyer, who was Josiah's brother-in-law, often threatened to kill Josiah Moore. However, upon further investigation, Moyer's alibi cleared him of the crime. Now, nine months before the murders in Villisca, this a similar case of axe I murder. I kill you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> That's your mama you're talking about. (laughs) A similar case of axe murder occurred in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Two axe murder cases followed in Ellsworth, Kansas and Paola, Kansas. The cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person. Other murders reported as possibly being linked to these crimes include the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912. Mm-hmm. the unsolved Axeman of New Orleans killing, as well as several other such murders during this time period. Now, the murders in Colorado Springs were closely related in execution to those of the Morehouse. H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were found dead, murdered with an axe. Bed sheets were used to cover the windows and prevent to prevent passersby from looking in. At the Morehouse, the murderer hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows. As in the murders in Villisca, the murderers, the murderer in Colorado Springs wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bedclothes. Perhaps the strongest evidence that both Jones and Kelly were most likely innocent came not from Villisca itself, but from other communities in the Midwest, where, like I said, in 1911 and 1912, a bizarre chain of axe murders seemed to suggest that a transient serial killer was at work. The researcher... You know what's wild? 
is that sometimes you just learn randomly, tangentially, a thing you did not know. And I did not know that there was a rash of axe murders in America in the early 1900s, which would necessarily lead to many horror stories where an axe murderer that's a transient axe murderer kills you is like such a common story. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah. I, you know, I never knew it, so I couldn't put it together, but like, that's fucking wild to me. Well, and a big part of it just being that again, an axe is an incredibly convenient murder weapon at the time. And now children. (laughs) No. Odd man out Productions Not endorsed. (laughs) Yeah, uh, don't murder your family with an axe, I think is the yeah. message of this show. So the researcher Beth Klingenman, or Klingensmith, uh, has suggested you that... You just said a, a better name ro- wrong, and then a, <laughs> say him again? Klingensmith. You said Klingenman, and that's better than yeah. Klingensmith. But that's not her name. I don't care. I do care. But <laughs> she like... has suggested that as many as 10 incidents that occurred close to railway tracks in locations as far apart as Rainier, Washington and Mammoth, Illinois or Monmouth, Illinois might form part of this chain. And in several cases, there are striking similarities to the Velisca crime. The pattern first pointed out in 1913 by special agent, Matthew McClaughlin, McClaughlin, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Sure. Uh, sure. Of the justice department's bureau of investigation. Uh, which for some reason says forerunner of the FBI, which is Bureau it's, of Investigation. The, no, well, it wasn't the federal yeah, Bureau it wasn't of federal it. yet. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Began with the murder of a family of six in Colorado Springs in September 1911. Colorado? Yes. Damn. And continued with two further incidents. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> in Monmouth, where the murder weapon was yep. actually a pipe. What? I was going to say Illinois, but in the same tone of voice that I said Colorado, just to annoy Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, so in Monmouth, the murder weapon was actually a pipe, and in Ellsworth, Kansas. Three in five people died on those attacks, and two more in Paola, Kansas, where someone murdered Rollin Hudson and his unfaithful wife just four days before the killings in Villisca. As far as McConaughey was concerned, the slaughter culminated in December 1912. All right, all right, all right. With the brutal murders of Mary Wilson and her daughter, Georgia Moore, in Columbia, Missouri. That's a good name. What, Georgia Moore? Yeah. It's another Moore. It's odd. His theory was that Henry Lee Moore, Georgia's son, and a convict with a history of violence were responsible for the whole series. The use of an axe in almost every case is perhaps not so remarkable in itself. I wonder why. We all just joshed ourselves. While there (laughs) certainly was an unusual concentration of axe killings in the Midwest at the time, almost every family in rural districts owned such an implement. And guess what? They still do. Yep. Mm -hmm. And often left it lying in their yard. And guess what? They still do. They still do. It might be considered, or as such, it might be considered a weapon of convenience. Similarly, the fact that the victims died asleep in their beds was likely a consequence of the choice of weapon. An axe is nearly useless against a mobile target. Yeah, it's very hard to aim something that heavy at someone who's trying to dodge it. Exactly. Yet other similarities among the crimes are much harder to explain away. In eight of the ten cases, the murder weapon was found abandoned at the scene of the crime. In as many as seven, there was a railway line nearby. 
In three, including Velisca, the murders took place on a Sunday night. Just as significant, perhaps, four of the cases, Paola, Velisca, Rainer, and a solitary murder that took place in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, featured killers who covered the victims' faces. Three murderers had washed their hands or washed at the scene, and at least five of the killers had lingered in the murder house. Perhaps most striking of all, two other homes, uh, those of the victims of the Ellsworth and Paola murders, had been lit by lamps in which the chimney had been laid aside and the wick bent down just as it had been in Villisca. So, I mean, that's that's just a habit that a person would have. I don't usually like to buy into these grand theories of, like, a transient axe murderer. Yeah. But... Uh, when they're that similar, though, it's honest. It's the wick thing mm-hmm. that gets me the most because that's not that's not something that just everybody does is point a wick down like that. Yeah. So that that's weird to me. Also, all the faces being covered, you know, that normally wouldn't stand out to me. Like covering the faces of victims is like for the re- all the reasons I said earlier mm. is a thing that is totally understandable like not wanting to look at what you just did if you're coming out of it. But then, it again, we hit the ritualistic thing. Wick pointed down, faces covered. Um, Sounds the, like a modus operandi to me. Washing in a basin, uh, there's nothing to that because that was just That's how what you do. cleaned up right. back yeah. then. There's, there's nothing to that. But... Combining everything else into a pattern, that might be the most convincing tale of a cross-country serial killer I've ever heard because the MO is the same. The only thing that's different in the Velisca murders is the mirrors being covered. Right. Whether or not all these murders really were connected remains a considerable puzzle. Some pieces of evidence fit patterns, but others do not. How, for example, might a stranger to Velisca have so unerringly located Joe and Sarah Moore's bedroom by low lamplight, ignoring the children's room until the adults were safely dead? On the other hand, the use of the flat of the axe blade to strike the fatal initial blows does suggest the murderer had previous experience. Any deep cut made by the sharp edge of the blade was more likely to result in the axe becoming lodged in the wound. Uh Oh, making it far more riskier to attack a sleeping couple. And the Paola murders have striking similarities with Velisca aside from the killer's use of the carefully adapted lamp. In both cases, for example, odd incidents occurred at the same night that suggest a killer might have attempted to strike twice. In Velisca, at 2.10 a.m. on the night of the murder, telephone operator Zania Delaney heard strange footsteps approaching up the stairs and an unknown hand tried her locked door. While in Paola, a second family was awakened in the dead of night by the sound that turned out to be a lamp chimney falling to the floor. Rising hurriedly, the occupants of the house were in time to see an unknown man escaping through a window. Whoa. It's it's more convincing than it maybe it should just be. It keeps fitting serial killer patterns the more and more it goes on. So, like, I mean, serial killers... A lot of times, psychologically, it's like an addiction where they they need to kill. To 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 uh, uh, pardon me for this again, but they need another hit. Maybe is the, right. Exactly. Literally. Yeah. I mean, I and I love the pun. Thank That's you. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. You've really added. I appreciate it so much. But a good gravitas pun is always. <laughs> it's so like he needed he needed that hit. 
Yeah. 30 or so of them. Yeah. And uh, he went to the first house, didn't play out because he fucked up, dropped some shit and woke everybody up. And he ran and he's like, fuck, I have to do this tonight. Has to be done. So he just went on to the next house. And it. the thing about finding the correct bedrooms by low lamplight I mean, everybody just navigated everywhere by low lamplight at nighttime. It was dark. Also, yeah. houses have always had and will remain pretty standard. There's yeah. only like a few different layouts of house. Right. Uh, so like, you know, you just go to the... Also, if they're sleeping and you peep in there and you look and you're like, mm, that's a single, never mind. Yeah, uh, you know what right. I mean? So perhaps the spookiest of all such similarities, however, was the strange behavior of the unknown murderer of William Showman, his wife Pauline, and their three children in Ellsworth, Kansas, in October of 1911. In the Ellsworth case, not only was a chimneyless lamp used to illuminate the murder scene, but a little heap of clothing had been placed over the showman's telephone to muffle in case it rang. It is not necessary to believe that Henry Lee Moore was a serial killer to consider that the string of Midwest axe murders have intriguing similarities that may tie the Villisca massacre to other crimes. Moore is now rarely considered a good suspect. He was certainly an unsavory character, released from a reformatory in Kansas shortly before the axe murders began, arrested in Jefferson City, Missouri shortly after they ended, and eventually convicted of the Columbia murders. But his motive in that case was greed. He had planned to obtain the deeds to his family's house, and it is rare for a wandering serial killer to return home and kill his own family. Nonetheless, analysis of the sequence of murders and several others that McConaughey did not consider yield some striking comparisons. For years, police looked into every possible scenario that could have culminated in the Velisca axe murders. Was it a single attack or part of a larger string of murders? Was it likelier to be a local perpetrator or a traveling killer simply pa- or simply passing through and taking an opportunity? Soon, reports of similar enough crimes happening throughout the country began to pop up. Though the crimes were not quite as gruesome, there were two common threads. The use of an axe as a murder weapon and the presence of an oil lamp set to burn extremely low at the scene. Despite the commonalities, however, no actual connections could be made. The case eventually ran cold and the house was boarded up. No cell was ever attempted and no charges were made to the original no changes were made to the original layout. Now the house has become a tourist attraction and sits at the end of a quiet street as it always has while life goes on around it, undeterred by the horrors that were once committed within. Please add this house to our legend tripping <laughs> schedule mm-hmm. because gotta go see it. This is no, this is very cool. Gotta go um, see it. I actually really like this story. Um, I mean, I, I hate, I hate the story, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, yeah. I really like the, the mystery of this yeah, one this because is a class, I mean, when you think of true crime podcasts, this is exactly, this the is thing. amazing. No, I thoroughly have enjoyed trying to piece this together. And I mean, I'm definitely coming away from it saying that I think Henry Lee Moore did it. Uh, that's kind of my favorite for it too. If any of the three of them did, it was him. Yeah, or or it was uh, someone who never got caught. That's fair. But there's way too much premeditation. Uh, the murderer did not leave fingerprints. They wore gloves. They knew to aim the wick down so that it would burn lower. 
Um, they the covering with clothing specifically. That's a strange mo. Yeah. In in a pattern like this, um, never having to carry a murder weapon, I feel like the axe being the murder weapon is part of that. Knowing to use the blunt of the axe so that it that doesn't get stuck. You've done it before. That suggests experience, like Don said. The what's the the other piece? The um, bacon. Yeah, don't don't yeah, know about the, the bacon. Fuck is that? You don't know about the fucking bacon, actually. <laughs> That's the only time bacon was it was never in any other houses, and it was never even suggested a reason. No, for uh, maybe that, this was the first time the killer tried it, and it, nobody really talked about it. And he was like, "Well, that didn't work." Like, damn it! I can't believe nobody talked about the bacon. <laughs> I went to so much effort to leave that bacon out. That nobody even talked about the bacon. Sort of feel like I was going to stretch a little bit for that. I would say that feels a little bit like a serial killer looking for recognition. Right. Like bacon banded. Or like more like fucking, I don't know. It's like they're the guy who left the bacon and they know it. You know what I mean? Right. Like they want to see something about it. Right. And know that they did that or something. I don't know. Fucking weird. Yeah. Truly, this this has been a fun... I I hate to be the kind of person that this is fun for, but this (laughs) has been a very fun one. Well... It was 1912. It's been long enough to it's joke about it. It's been 110 years. Yeah. I'm, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we make jokes about the Titanic now. I make jokes about much more recent tragedies than the Titanic. Uh-huh, me too, buddy. <laughs> Not in public. No. So well, that, we're edgy. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the rigmarole half of you don't even listen to anymore. You, you know what to do. Like, Follow, like, rate, share. Give us all your money. Yes. <laughs> well, more gently that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe sound a little more appreciative. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to the patrons who 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 make you know things Put the better. Show on their backs yes. and carry Curious. us. Shouts out uh, to the plant babies and their moms. Who I don't even know if y'all still listen, but I hope you do. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, I haven't heard anything from them in a while. No, they haven't hit us up in a minute. No. I'm sure they're so. still listening, though. I hope so. Uh, if you, I was yawning. You cunt. <laughs> if you can financially uh, handle it, we have a Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash Two Towns Over. Uh, you have to put it in the search engine or search us via Google, or not search in the address bar or search us via Google because it will not let you search inside of Patreon. I'm sorry for calling you a cunt. I've been that, watching a lot of British media recently. That's fine. It's, it's a great word. It's a good word, yeah. but it, was, it, was, it didn't feel good. It, it's okay, you twat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we have currently have five tiers. Yeah, something like that. We yeah. got some tiers. We got some tiers. If you're interested, go check them out. They range from $2 to uh, I want to say 20. 20 Yep. Um, at the twenty dollars tier, you get a Ghost Strokes backstage pass currently being designed. Uh, yes, and we're still working out what kind of perks that thing can get you. It's going to get yeah. you cool stuff. Though. It's going to get you some cool stuff. Though. Yes, down the road. Um, and just a reminder that there will not be a midweek episode next week. Um, yeah, go watch that concrete about Roger uh, Reeves or, listen, or Dungeons and Daddies or Chuddle the Pod. Um, or go back and listen to some of your favorite old episodes of us. Yeah, fuck it. Listen to Chuddle the Pod. <laughs> and um, 
reminder that January 1st, 2023, we will be starting our Satanic Panic series. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get metal AF up I'm ri- in this I'm bitch. ripping off Henry Zabrowski with my yeah. guitar riff. I know. I don't, <laughs> so, I, I, well, I just can't have anyone accuse me of it without yeah. me acknowledging it. Yeah. It's, sa- it's safer if I just admit it now. I think it's safe to say <laughs> most of our show is just ripping off. No, it. no, no. We're unique. <laughs> We're unique. We have our own vibe. I know. There's a black person on this one. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> and the black person doesn't know anything about the stories we're telling. It's true. Although most of the time, Josh doesn't know about the stories we're telling anymore. Yeah, but I at least have background. Yeah, true. You didn't have background on this one, though. No, but I have serial killer psychology background. This is true. I mean, not in any professional capacity, but yeah. long-time personal interest. So that about wraps it up. Uh, fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Be good to yourselves. Um, what is it this week? Do what Nintendo don't. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>